A 2002 study conducted by the University of Massachusetts showed, listen to this, 60% of adults can't have a 10-minute conversation without telling at least one lie. Let me repeat it. 60% of adults cannot have a 10-minute conversation without telling at least one lie. Now, even more so, the average, the average number of lies told in that brief 10-minute conversation is three. Okay. Now, now here's the deal. I'm a little skeptical about studies that have to do with lying. Can you figure out why? Yes, pretty obvious. Because if you're asking liars about their habits, they may lie to you. So you really, I don't know how you could figure this out. However, we know that lying is a major thing in our culture. Not being truthful, not being honest is a major thing in our culture. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about surveys and studies that were done because I can't trust any of them. So we'll just move on into what we can trust, and that is God's Word, the ninth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. That's where we're going to be this morning, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. I did say ninth commandment. That means how many are left? One. Okay. Then we're going to move into a, um, what I'm calling, it, it's, it's going to be an interesting series because it's going to involve the Lord's Supper. It's going to involve a number of other things. But we're going to move into a series called Amazing Grace. And we're going to be looking and spending some time contemplating God's grace over the course of the next few weeks. And so that's where we're going to be after we leave the uh, Ten Commandments series. And I pray this has been helpful for you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. And this is what God's Word says. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. When a person goes to court as a witness, they're asked to swear an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Now, I've been in very few courtrooms literally, uh, but I've seen enough Perry Mason on TV to know what the oath is. You've seen enough of those shows where you see the courthouse scene. You promise, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Now, why is that important? Because without the truth, without a truthful testimony, you, you can't figure out how to, to make an appropriate judgment. To convict someone to declare them guilty or to acquit someone to declare them not guilty. The truthfulness of a testimony is absolutely essential to any judicial system. Without the truth, it all falls apart. And a society in which truth is minimized or wholly discarded will be filled with abuse and corruption, creating a society where the guilty are acquitted and the innocent suffer. And as we look around our culture today, we see a lot of that, don't we? We're not the only ones. Go back and read through the Psalms. Read through Proverbs. And you see that the, they, the, the concept of the innocent suffering and the guilty going free is something that people have struggled with for years. So we can understand why it would be so important for God to communicate to his people 
If you're going to have a society that is stable, if you're going to have a society where righteousness is lifted up, exalted, and where unrighteousness is is pushed down, if that's going to happen, then you are going to have to have true testimony. And so it makes it into the Ten Commandments. Not to bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, our system of justice and, and that of the, the Israelites is a little bit different. They had an elder system. They came before the elders, and the elders made the judgment. Uh, we also have a system, We've, either with a magistrate or with a judge and a jury. But in both systems, true witnesses. Witnesses telling the truth were important. Now, to the Israelites, it was so important that it was not enough to have one witness who gave testimony to convict someone. No one could be convicted except there were the testimony of two witnesses. And so God's got a a big thing for this this concept of treating people right. And the truthfulness of testimony is a big part of that. And so this we begin looking at this ninth commandment as an aspect of the judicial system, okay? Okay. But it's bigger than that. Because underlying that, there's the concept of integrity in our words. Integrity in what we say. We're not to intentionally speak that which is untrue or intentionally harmful to another. Let that soak in. We're not to intentionally speak that which is untrue or intentionally harmful to another. That's what underlies this commandment. The integrity of our words, that our words matter, our testimony matters. What we say needs to be true. And it doesn't need to be hurtful, harmful in what we're trying to say. And we live in a world, listen, I'm telling you, we live in a world where this runs rampant where people intentionally speak things that are untrue or at least half true, and their intent is to hurt or to harm others. There's going to come a point in the campaigning, which will be kicking in the high. It seems like we just, I mean, it's like hockey season, right? I mean, I'm not a big hockey fan, and it seems like hockey goes on year-round. I think they take off like a weekend, and then they start with the preseason. It just goes on and on and on and on. And so that's kind of how campaigning feels to me. And there'll come a point in the presidential campaign or the gubernatorial campaign or senator campaign where I just shut it off because I'm tired of hearing it. Because what's happening is there's twisting, there's distorting, there's, there's half-truth or complete untruths, and they're all thrown in there together, and, and it's intended to do harm. Now, as we we look at this society in which we live, you and I are called to live differently. Our lives, we've got a different standard, a, a different base upon which we stand, a different foundation upon which we build our lives. And so when God is communicating to the children of Israel and when God is communicating to us, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, God, uh, or excuse me, Leviticus, by the way, In your handout, it says Deuteronomy chapter 19. It should be Leviticus chapter 19. Okay, in in Leviticus chapter 19, God is repeating a lot of what he said in the Ten Commandments, but he's also expanding upon it. And and I I don't know this, 
but I kind of get a feeling based on my knowledge of human nature that whenever we get a, a rule or uh, uh, something that, that we're told to do, that we're always looking for kind of the gray areas. We're always looking for the loopholes. We're always looking for a way around it. I mean, children, children are experts at this. I mean, absolutely experts. I mean, they, they will, they kind of push things to the limit. And you tell, so you tell your child, Johnny, I don't want you going to the neighbor's house. And so Johnny goes everywhere else except the neighbor's house. And so mom and dad, you come in there, Johnny, you know you're not supposed to go down to the, to the pool hall. <laughs> you know you're not supposed to, to go down to the creek by yourself. You know you're not. Well, you said not to go to the neighbor's house. So we find these ways to twist things, to maneuver things, to, to make it so that we are not, not as guilty. And so God then, in, in, in Leviticus chapter 19 he kind of elaborates. This is what he says. He says, uh, do not steal. We've heard that in the Ten Commandments, haven't we? Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by the name, by my name, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Okay, God is, is saying, hey, listen, this thing is integrity in what you do and what you say is critically important to you, to those around you, and to society as a whole. The truth is important. And so this commandment itself is not hard for us to understand, but it's really hard for people to apply. It's really, really hard for people to apply, to be honest and trustworthy, not to lie, not to deceive, not to twist the truth in some way. And so we get to the point where we relabel lying. It is evasion. It is a misrepresentation. It is an inaccuracy. I misspoke. There are all, you know, all kinds of terms that we use to try to lessen the impact. To call, you'll see this. Um, if you ever watch C-SPAN, you should do it for a little while at least. But these, you know, so your senators, your representatives, they get up there and they'll go to my distinguished friend, so-and-so-and-so. Okay. He's already lying. Okay. Cause I mean, they are, they're at each other constantly, but he, my, my distinguished colleague, my good friend, and, and they begin to talk to them in these kind of terminology and, and what they end up doing them, they will never say, my friend, you are a liar. But they find all kinds of other words to paint the same picture. We li- this is the culture in which we live in. And so it is within that understanding of our culture and within the understanding of the scripture that we consider this this morning. We relabel lying. We minimize the impact of lying on others around us or on our own reputation. We kind of expect our political leaders to look right at the camera, to smile, that white, white teeth smiling, and it's just lied to us. We expect it. But again, the culture we live in. Now, how, do, how, do, how does this happen? Think back to your precious little children or grandchildren. Something happens. 
A lamp gets broken. Keys go missing. And so you pull in little Johnny. You pull in little Sarah. And you sit them down and you say, Did you take my keys? I didn't do it. Do you know what happened to them? No. Okay, they don't, they don't have to be taught this. There's something, this evasion, this, this misspeaking, this lying, seems to be something that we kind of come by naturally. We want to investigate that a little bit too this morning. So let's begin by asking, how is it that the Bible says that we deceive, lie to, and bear false testimony how is it that we do that? And I'm not going to read all these verses, but I printed them there in your handout this morning. And so hopefully you'll go through these. But let me just run through this just as a list. First of all, perjury. That's what happens in a trial when you're, when you're lying under oath. Uh, slander. Slander. Uh, slander is when you uh, misuse someone's name. You, you, you bring them down. You lie about them in an attempt to hurt them. Uh, gossip. Gossip is... Of course, you can be telling a truth or an untruth. It doesn't really matter. But gossip is when you're telling something in order to either gain an advantage, to put someone else down, to elevate yourself, to hurt another person. Um, flattery. Wow, you mean flattery's in this list? How did flattery make the list? Flattery. Listen, listen, here's, here's, listen what God's Word says in Psalm chapter 12. Help, Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. Everyone lies to his neighbor their flattering lips speak with deception. God's not real excited about flattery because flattery typically is disingenuous. You're saying something that's untrue. False teaching. We're not talking about what happens in school settings. We're talking about what happens among the people of God. God is very concerned about His truth. And when that gets distorted or twisted or watered down in some way, uh, that's not good. Cruel jokes. I, uh, in studying for this sermon, I, I, I guess I'd read this proverb many times, but I, it never really stuck with me. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. When you do something or say something to someone and it's hurtful to them, you try to defend yourself by saying, Oh, I was just joking, I was just kidding. But it still hurts. Little white lies. Ooh. And again, guys, I have great sympathy. There is no good answer to does this dress make me look fat? There's just, there's just no good answer to that. Um, and so, you know, how do you speak the truth in love in a situation like that? That's, a, that's, a, that's another sermon for another time, but... But telling little white lies, little white lies are, in fact, those things that we tell that we don't think are going to hurt anybody. They're just tiny. They, they're, they're, uh, if you ever saw the episode in the old Star Trek, The Trouble with Tribbles, that's what kind of little white lies are like. They're, they're these you know, little fluffy little things you think that don't matter, and next thing you know, they're all over the place. And so we want to be careful uh, with, with just telling little white lies. Half-truths. Here's the honest, honest thing about half-truths. Half-truths are whole lies. Once you mix untruth with truth, it's no longer truth. And then, of course, there's false worship. We mentioned this last week. Jesus said, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, to be honest, this is a short list. 
of ways that we lie, deceive, bear false witness. It's a short list. Just pulled out some scripture just to give you some idea that this is very prevalent and that God addresses it throughout the scripture, Old and New Testament, how we're to be honest, how we're not to lie, not to deceive, not to bear false witness. So why do we do this? Well, let me give you four reasons why we lie, why we distort the truth. The first is to protect ourselves. We get caught doing something, we begin to lie. We begin to create, fabricate a story. And, and we do it to protect ourselves because we feel vulnerable, because we feel guilty. And so we will create something in order to, like a shield in front of us. To gain an advantage. Many people lie in order to gain an advantage. That's what politicians typically do, but it's not limited to politicians. People do it all the time. We do it to gain an advantage. We lie to impress people. When we do that, that's how the little four-inch fish that you have to throw back turns into a four-pound bass. People embellish their resumes. They're trying to impress someone, trying to make themselves seem bigger, better than they are. Sometimes we lie to hurt people. We're intentionally trying to do damage, to bring someone down. So there are many reasons why we might lie, but regardless of what kind of lie it is or why we choose to use it, the Bible is very clear as to where lying comes from. So where does it come from? Well, first of all, it comes from Satan. This is what Scripture tells us. Jesus describes Satan in this way. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. This is who Satan is. He is the deceiver. And we see that from the very beginning in the garden as he is there twisting God's truth, getting them to doubt God's integrity, inserting lies, distorting things in order to gain that advantage and to hurt them. Lies have their source in Satan himself. We need to remember that. If you are someone who struggles with being truthful, you need to remember where lies come from. They are demonic in their origin. But that's not the only place lies come from. The Bible also tells us that lies come from the fallen human heart. Look at these two verses, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then Jesus says in Matthew 15, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And so there's a heart problem here. Now we see these two woven together in an episode that occurs in the book of Acts as Peter is confronting a guy named Ananias who's just lied. Okay? He has lied. He has misled. He has deceived the church. He saw this guy named Barnabas who went out, and he was a very generous man, an encouraging man. He went out and he sold this piece of property, and he brought all the proceeds. He brought it to Peter and laid it down in front of the apostles and said, okay, this is for the church. I'm, I'm giving this gift for the church. And Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, 
They saw this and they said, wow, everybody's just praising Barnabas for this, this wonderful gift that he's given. You know what? We've got a little piece of property. Why don't we sell that? And we can give that to the church. Now, I don't know exactly how this happened because we don't have all the details, but you can, you can almost fill in the blanks. They may have started with the best of intentions. And yet when they sold that property, they were going, wow, we got a little more than this than we thought. And I could, you know, if we just kept some of this, just, just a little bit of this, if we just kept some back, we could still get all the praise that Barnabas got and we can enjoy that little cruise on the Mediterranean that we'd been planning for so long and hoping for. And so it's exactly what they did. And so when, uh, when Ananias comes in to lay this gift in front of the apostles, uh, here is, because God's already spoken to Peter about it, here's what Peter said to Ananias. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied? Look at that. The human heart and Satan woven together. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied? In the scripture, we find them mentioned together. So it is appropriate to say that the devil is the source of all lies. But it's also true to say that fallen people are willing accomplices in the lies. Get this. How many of you, you've got to be about my age at least, remember Flip Wilson, the comedian? Okay? He had a little, little stick he did where the devil made me do it. Okay? Well, and that was it. The devil made me do it. I remember my mother, I must have been a bad kid. My mother got me a t-shirt in red letters, the devil made me do it. Okay. Sorry. Okay. We know the devil is certainly the source of all these, but we have to be willing accomplices. Just because Satan weaves a web of deceit and lies does not mean we have to jump on board with what he is doing. Now, when we talk about this, some of you may have been thinking from the very outset, I, I'm, I know I'm not supposed to lie, I know it's a bad thing, but is there ever an occasion when lying is, is okay? And you may have been thinking, well, I, I think I remember way back in Exodus, same book, I think I remember that these Hebrew midwives were required, okay, they were required to kill any male children born to uh, the Hebrew people. And yet they, they went and delivered the babies and then they lied to the Egyptians that said, hey, these Hebrew women are so strong, they have the babies before we ever show up. So we're not, we didn't kill them and that's why. Or maybe you're thinking about Rahab. Rahab who lived in Jericho and the Jewish spies came and, and uh, they spied out the camp and Rahab hid them and then lied to her fellow citizens to say, hey, listen, uh, they went that away so that she released the spies. Or maybe you're thinking about something a little more current. Maybe you're thinking about the stories that you have read about Christian families hiding Jews in Nazi Germany and lying to the Nazi officials and the soldiers who came to their door saying that there were no Jews here. You look at that and you go, okay, there must be a point somewhere, somehow, where lying, deceiving, is not quite as bad. Was it right to lie? Well, the answer is simple 
and not so simple. So let me give you both the answers. Simple answer is yes. There are times when there is a greater good that can be accomplished by not telling the truth or even by telling a lie. We see that biblically. There are occasions when that happens. That's the simple answer. Here's the not-so-simple answer. The not-so-simple answer is also yes, but it's yes with an asterisk. Even though there may be times when the greater good can be accomplished by telling a lie and by deceiving, we must never, ever, 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 ever take lying lightly. Ever. The reason for not being truthful must be so overwhelming that it drives us to do what's supernaturally inside. We don't want to do it. The Bible says that you and I will have to give account for every idle word spoken. So before you see this, oh, here's the gray area, here's the escape clause, here's the fine print, here's the place where I'm free to fudge, mess around the edges a little bit. Before you see that, listen to me, listen to what I'm telling you. If it ever comes to a point where you say, if I, I've got to lie in order to, to foster a greater good, then you need to understand you will have to give account to God for that. So don't take it lightly. We like to live in the gray area, but the command itself is pretty straightforward. We are to be people of integrity in what we do and in what we say. So how do we do this? If we know lying's wrong and we, we want to avoid it, how do we do it? Well, there have been a lot of people that provide a lot of advice. Probably some of the earliest advice that we have recorded about what we speak was actually by a philosopher named Socrates uh, back in 399 B.C. So that was, that was long, 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 long ago before Jesus was born. This was a long time ago. He was a philosopher, and he came up with this little system, this test, to determine if, if you're getting ready to say something and, and you've got questions in your mind, if this is the right thing to say, then he came up with three questions to ask before you said it. And the questions were these, is it true, is it necessary, and is it kind? Those are the three questions he said to ask. Before, if you were ever in doubt about saying something, is it true, is it necessary, and is it kind? Now, I listen to that and I go, that's pretty good advice. That's a, that's a great little test to do before you say something. But I'm here to tell you this morning that knowing the rule in Exodus 20, 16, and knowing Socrates' little three-question test will not fix your problem. It won't fix it. The problem is deeper than it. The problem is not that we don't know that lying is wrong, and that telling the truth is right. The problem is that even though we know that, we don't do it. The problem is not the rules. The problem is deeper than that. The problem is internal. And that's why rules will never fix the problem. So let's consider God's solution to this problem. 
Okay? If rules aren't going to fix it, if knowing Exodus 20.16 is not enough, then what can we do? And I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. We're going to just spend a few minutes here. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Because this, I believe, is the answer to how we can begin to speak truth and love and leave lying behind. So hear what God's word says to you, Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me give you three points from this that I think will help you as you struggle to be a person of integrity in your speech. The first point is this, accept God's mercy. What does that mean? That, we, that means we accept God's forgiveness. Mercy means not getting what you deserve. The Bible teaches us that we are sinners and we are separated from God. And what we deserve, what we deserve is death and hell forever. That's what we deserve. But God is merciful. And he, through Christ, through accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we don't get what we deserve. Instead of getting death and hell, we get life in heaven. That's pretty awesome. That's what mercy is all about. And so we need to accept Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that comes through him and only him. We cannot be forgiven on our own. We cannot make this happen. We cannot wipe away our sins. There is no spiritual magic eraser. That's a pretty good product, by the way. It gets rid of a lot of mess, okay? Cleans your sink up nice and shiny. Okay. There isn't a spiritual version of that. There's nothing you can do, no matter how hard you scrub, to get rid of the sin in your life. Sin separates you from God. Sin damns you to hell. The only answer, the only answer is Jesus who came and the Bible says that he became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He did this great exchange. Jesus said, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, then I'm going to take your sin from you and I'm going to give you my righteousness. There's nothing you can do to earn that, to deserve that, to achieve that. Nothing. It is by grace through faith that you're saved. It's not something you do. It's the gift of God. Our only hope of real, lasting change is to have a new heart. And the only way we get a new heart is to have a new life in Jesus. And the reason some of you have been struggling for so long is because you've never accepted the mercy of God. You've always thought it's another seminar, another book, 
another article in a magazine. That's my answer. It's not your answer. The answer is Jesus. Accept. Accept God's mercy. Second point is this. Give yourself wholly to the Lord. Most of us, our our discipleship, our following Jesus is like the hokey pokey. You put your right foot in, then what do you do? You take your right foot out. You might put it in and shake it around, but then you take it back out. And that's kind of how our discipleship goes. We're not all in. And we wonder why the Christian life is not more satisfying, that we don't experience more victory. It's because we're constantly getting in and getting out and shaking everything all about. It doesn't work. The Bible says that we are to give ourselves wholly to God. How does he put it? He says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Now, they knew of dead sacrifices where you'd bring in a bull or a a lamb and you would slaughter it and shed the blood and, and then the animal would be offered up on a sacrifice, dead sacrifice. Paul says that's not what God's looking for. God's looking for living sacrifices for you and I to die daily to self and to live for him. And I got to tell you something. If we do what Jesus told us, deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him, then a lot of the stuff we struggle with would just fade away. But it can only be done in the power of God, which leads us to the third point. And that point is this. Let God change you from the inside out. Let God change you from the inside out. You're saved by grace. You live in that same grace. Some of us got the idea that I'm saved by grace and then I live on my own. It's not it. You're saved by grace and you live in that grace. So what does that mean? That means when I fail, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation. I'm still just as much a child of God as I was before I failed. I'm not trying to work my way to holiness. God is looking at me and he says, you are holy. You're a saint. You're set apart for a purpose. I've done that. Then I need to begin to live as a person I am. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't don't keep doing what the world shows you to do. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you get a renewed mind? You accept what's real and reject what Satan is telling you is a lie. That's how you get a new mind. You believe the truth and reject the lie. What's the truth? The truth is this. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. I've accepted Jesus Christ. I've trusted in him. I believe in him. I follow Jesus. Therefore, God has declared me as righteous in his sight. Now I begin to live as the man I am, not as the man I was. And when I fall short, and I will, I don't start all over again. God's still looking at me and says, you're still my son. You're still righteous in my sight because it's not what you do that makes you righteous or unrighteous. It's what Jesus did on your behalf. Begin. That's how you get a new mind. We struggle. We struggle, some of us, because we have never received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We do not have the spiritual resource to live the life he's called us to. We just don't have it. Some of you struggle because you're constantly putting your whole self in and pulling your whole self out. You're constantly toying with the idea of following Jesus, but you're not holy in. You've never picked up your cross, denied yourself, and began to follow him. Some of you, some of you struggle because you still see yourself as the old person.
you're still lost in your mind. You're still a sinner apart from God and you're trying to earn this and you constantly fall flat of your face. But when you begin to see yourself as God sees you and live as the person God has made you in Christ, everything, everything changes. So what do you need to do today? Do you need to accept God's mercy to receive his forgiveness? Do you need to give yourself wholly to him? Not to recommit your life, but to fully commit it. Or perhaps what you need is to simply come to God and say, God, I'm so sorry. Your word says that I am your child through Jesus and that I'm forgiven and clean in your sight. And I've forgotten that. I haven't been living in that. But today, today I want to start. If God's calling you to that, then this is your opportunity to respond to what he says to you. This is it. This is your chance. This is your moment. This is your time. What do you do? We're going to sing. Go ahead. I'll ask the praise team to come on up now. We're going to sing in just a few moments. We're going to sing a final song. And as we sing that song, I want you to honestly look into your heart, to look into your life and ask yourself, do I honestly know Jesus? Am I saved? Do I know it? Have I accepted what Jesus has done for me on Calvary's cross? Have I embraced that and made that my own? If not, that's where I need to start. That's my beginning point today. For some of you, may need to, you may need to ask yourself, am I playing hokey pokey with God? And am I ready today to say, God, I'm all in. Whatever it is that you're calling me, whoever it is that you want me to go see, whatever it is you want me to do, God, whatever it is, I'm ready to say, yes, I'm fully in. I'm all in with you today. And some of you, some of you may just need to come and apologize to God for not accepting his truth and for believing Satan's lie. Satan's going to keep lying to you, keep deceiving you, keep twisting the truth. You need to know what's true. And what's true is those who are in Christ are in Christ. We are in Christ. Our lives are hidden with God in Christ. And that cannot be taken away. Whatever it is that God is leading you to do, this is your moment, this is your time. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, for its power, for its truth for its majesty. And Lord, today as we consider what it is to be people of integrity, we need to be honest, first of all, with ourselves and with you about where we are spiritually, about what it is that you're calling us to do today. Father God, I pray that whatever it is, we would be willing, we would be ready that we would take that step to come and receive your son, to fully commit ourselves, to connect ourselves with a church that can help us to grow, or simply to come, Lord, and to lay our hearts bare before you. Whatever it is, Lord, that you call us to do, our answer is yes. In Jesus' name, amen.